Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. I want to share with you this piece from Mass Live, printed in the last few days. Again, Mass Live, also the Republican newspaper, of course. This by Juliet Shulman Hall, longtime reporter. Under this headline, company tracked visits to 600 planned parenthood clinics investigation finds. An anti-abortion political group used the cell phone location data of individuals visiting 600 Planned Parenthood locations in 48 states, according to an investigation by U.S. Senator Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon. The data was also tracked in Massachusetts, according to the Planned Parenthood League of Massachusetts. This is a quote that follows from Senator Wyden. If a data broker could track American cell phones, to help extremists target misinformation they're getting to people at hundreds of Planned Parenthood locations, a right-wing prosecutor could use that same information to put women in jail. In Massachusetts, legislators, legislators and reproductive advocacy groups said the findings by Wyden show the importance of supporting a statewide bill, the Location Shield Act, also known as House 357. We have with us to help understand what this story means and what can be done here in Massachusetts today, now, to stop this evil. We have Carol Rose, who is the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Massachusetts. Carol Rose, welcome back to the show. Tell us, if you would, please, how serious is the threat and what can be done? Great. Well, first, it's great to be here, Bill, Buzz, all your listeners. Um, you know, this aggressive anti-abortion campaign really makes it clear that digital privacy is, you know, essential to our bodily integrity. You know, if anti-abortion extremists can use our cell phone location data to track us and to target people seeking health care, they can use that to harass people and harm people and, and do all sorts of nefarious things. Um, this whole situation is just so alarming, and it's one of the reasons that the ACLU of Massachusetts, um, our Technology for Liberty program, uh, where we bring technologists together with civil rights advocates to sort of begin to see the nexus there. So they developed a campaign um, in collaboration with Reproductive Equity Now and Planned Parenthood and a big coalition of groups. Um, to put forward with uh, our House sponsors, Representative Caleb Garabedian and Senator Cindy Cream, um, this Location Shield Act. So the Location Shield Act is a bill that would prohibit companies from selling our cell phone location data to anybody who has a credit card. It's could, basically could you it's stop just the, a wild block invest right now. Could you stop mm -hmm. there for one second? I, I don't think it's self-evident. Certainly it hasn't been to me what it means for companies to sell location data. How do they get it, and what do they sell? So everywhere we go, for those of us like me, probably like many of us, um, who take our cell phones with us, right, it's constantly pinging to a tower. So there's a way to track where we are taking our cell phones when we take our cell phones with us. And that location data can be easily linked then to us as human beings, as individuals. And that data, there are data brokers out there who scrape that data, and then they sell it 
to the highest bidder, like this company um, that was hired, this data broker named Near Intelligence, uh, that was hired by anti-abortion organizers to try to track people and then target them with various kinds of messaging and um, advertising and things like that. Um, but it could also be given to a bounty hunter from Texas who would get $10,000 for tracking somebody. Um, and so it's a very serious situation and we need to, as a state, take every action we can and urge our lawmakers to take every action they can to make sure that the Location Shield Act is passed so that all of us in Massachusetts are protected from this nefarious abuse of our location data. Okay, let's just follow this out a bit further. The location tracking data that can be sold, it can be done for people nationwide. And what does it mean in particular for people coming to Massachusetts to see, seek reproductive health care? Well, so given how many states are now banning abortion in various, whether it's through time limits or other kinds of limits or just outright bans, um, many of them are also trying to make it a crime to go to another state or location to seek this kind of health care, um, which I think is just blatantly unconstitutional. But they're nonetheless, a lot of legislators or legislatures in the states, particularly in the South and the Midwest, are passing these kinds of laws. Um, if people come to Massachusetts then seeking reproductive health care, these data brokers can scrape it and sell it to, for example, an anti-abortion group, like they did in this case, um, who then uses it to target those people for any number of ways. They could use it to target them for advertising. They could use it to target them for bounty hunters or to turn them in. Um, there's all sorts of, um, and it's not just people seeking abortion care. It could be, uh, you know, you could do it because you're looking, you're mad at your ex-partner and you're going to track them. I mean, that could be really scary from, for people concerned about domestic violence. Um, you know, th there's all sorts of ways that this can be tracked. People could be used for blackmail. Um, and so it's really important that we say in Massachusetts, we're going to say no. We're going to create a, a haven for liberty here in Massachusetts. It's something we can do. We can't change everything happening across the country, but what we can do and what we need to do is to pass laws like the Location Shield Act here in Massachusetts that make sure that Massachusetts remains a beacon of liberty um, like we have historically in this country, and it's time to do it again. Okay, so there is pending in the legislature a bill titled the Location Shield Act. What will it do and where does it stand in the legislative process? So basically what it would do, this Location Shield Act, it's currently before the Committee on Consumer Protection and Professional Licensure. That's a mouthful. Um, but basically the bill would prohibit companies from engaging in this predatory practice of selling location data. Um, it would, now companies, just to be clear, could still use and collect the data for legitimate uses, for Google Maps, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So there are ways to create, the bill permits the, use of location data for purposes that we need it for geographic location purposes. So it wouldn't harm things like our, our, the mapping services and things like that. What it would prevent is this sort of wholesale scraping of our location information and selling it without any rules whatsoever to the highest bidder, um, somebody with a credit card, like I said, like an anti-abortion group or any other individual or company that's trying to do harm to us or to track our location for whether for good or nefarious purposes. Um, and so it's really important. By the way, Bill, I just want to tell you, uh, you and Buzz, that we did a poll, Beacon Research poll, that shows that 92% of Massachusetts voters support passing a law to prohibit the sale of personal location data. That's incredible. 92%. I've never seen a poll where 92% of voters across the political 
spectrum support this law. Um, and there's also like 40 organizations, you know, not just the reproductive justice groups, but the labor groups, AFL-CIO, Anti-Defamation League uh, of New England, Jane Doe, does domestic anti-domestic violence, trans health. So there's a whole group. And I'm happy to also say that Attorney General Andrea Campbell has also joined the call to ban the sale of cell phone location data in Massachusetts. So there's a lot of momentum for the bill. And what we need to do is just pick up the phones and call our legislators and say, please get this over the finish line. Enough is enough. Don't delay any further. Pass the Location Shield Act and do it now. Uh, Executive Director of the ACLU of Massachusetts, Carol Rose, this is Buzz. Uh, for those who don't approve of the shield, one of the things that I've heard pointed to is the fact that through discovery in those many January 6th uh, involvees uh, who were being prosecuted criminally, the Justice Department found out where they are, who they are by use of data tracking. So what do you say to those people who say, what will this bill do to that endeavor? Right. Yeah, that's a great question, Buzz. And, you know, it won't hurt that at all because, you know, for criminal investigations, when the prosecutors need that, they can get warrants, they can get permissions to be able to access that information as part of an investigation. That's really different than just these random data brokers who profit off of pulling together our location data and then selling it to anybody, you know, bounty hunters or private companies or individuals. So that's really different. There are protections in place, due process protections, when, um, the, mil when the government needs to get information in order to track people um, who they think have been involved in criminal activity. So that's, it's just, it's a great question, but it wouldn't be impacted by passage of the Location Shield Act. Uh, Carol Rose, it seems to me, given the 92% uh, favorability uh, polling for this bill right. in Massachusetts, given the endorsement of the Attorney General, Andrea Campbell, uh, that <coughs> this bill should have a clear path to passage in the legislature. We've talked a lot on the show about the joint rule, the reporting rule in February for bills coming out of committee. Did this bill receive a favorable report or is it still uh, pending? Can you just tell us a bit more about its legislative uh, life at this point? Right. So um, after the joint rule 10 was giving an extension uh, until April. So there's still a little bit of time. We don't want it to go to study. We do want it to get a favorable report out. And we mostly we want it to get it passed. Um, you know, there's just simply no reason when 92 percent of Massachusetts voters want it, when 40 different groups are endorsing it, um, there's really no reason not to push it forward. Um, quickly. It's a bipartisan, um, across the aisle, um, you know, House, Senate-sponsored bill. We, sh we need to get the Location Shield Act passed. And I think the story that came out, thanks to uh, Ron Wyden's good work in, in the Senate, really shows us, like, how many more stories do we need? How many more examples do we need that this is a crisis? And let's not wait until after the 2024 elections to get these protections in place for people in Massachusetts. Is there any chance of a federal bill? There is some chance of a federal bill, um, and we're working in Congress to try to make sure that something can be done there. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't go ahead in Massachusetts, because we know right now how broken Congress is. We know how hard it is, even to get common sense reforms like this to be passed in Congress, just because of the, bi the, you know, the partisan bickering and, thing and posturing that's going on in Congress. But we shouldn't have that. We don't have that problem here in Massachusetts. Our state legislature, the leaders of the legislature, should know that they need to pass this because 92% of the voters want it. And if that isn't enough, then, you know, 
something's wrong with our democracy. But I don't think there is. I think in Massachusetts we can get this bill passed um, and we should pass the Location Shield Act right now. There's really no reason to wait. This story alone should be enough to convince us that it's time. We are speaking with Carol Rose, who is the executive director of the ACLU of Massachusetts. The next question I have for Carol Rose is, what is the ACLU's position? What does the ACLU have to say about the various prosecutions of Donald Trump? We'll find out right after this. to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Carol Rose, who is the executive executive editor, executive director. (laughs) She was a newspaper person for a long time. She did have a a long career as a journalist. This is true. Before she was the executive director of the ACLU of Massachusetts. Uh, Carol Rose, I would love for you to share with us what the ACLU's position is and what your thoughts are with regard to the immunity claims now pending at the Supreme Court that have been argued by former President Donald Trump. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. We're, we're in a very interesting, historically interesting moment with the U.S. Supreme Court taking on the cases um, against Donald Trump in a variety of places. Um, so the latest is that there's these two Trump, there's a Trump immunity claim. He's basically saying in the case that the federal prosecutor, Jack Smith, is bringing against Trump for, um, you know, crimes around January 6th, the insurrection, um, the D.C. Circuit, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is just below the U.S. Supreme Court, ruled on February 6th that uh, Donald Trump is not immune from prosecution for the alleged crimes that he committed during his presidency uh, when he was trying to reverse the 2020 election results. Um, And so what they were arguing, what the Trump people were arguing is that all that was part of his official duties as president and therefore he shielded from criminal liability. Well, the D.C. Circuit Court threw that one out, and there's a great quote from the court that I'd like to share with you. It says, quote, for the purpose of this criminal case, former President Trump has become citizen Trump with all of the defenses of any other criminal defendant. But any executive immunity that may have protected him while he served as president no longer protects him against this prosecution. Unquote. So uh, the Trump and his team have appealed this to the Supreme Court. So we'll see how the court rules on it. But you know, this really, Bill, this just goes back to the old days of Richard Nixon saying, "If the president did it, it's not illegal." Right? Remember that? Um, and and you know, back then, America, we rejected Nixon's efforts then, and we need to reject Trump's efforts now. You know, in America, we elect presidents, not kings. And in America, no one is above the law. Trump's argument. Uh, that I think the quote, while I think it's really magnificent and stirring uh, and very emotional, uh, in some ways it ducks the question because Mm -hmm. he he is citizen Trump now, but his argument is what he did when he was president 
is not subject to prosecution. Uh, and he is saying that, in essence, that if the court interferes with the executive branch's functioning and puts the courts in charge of the presidency, that that is a sea change. I mean, this is this immunity claim is widely derided, but there is a scintilla of uh, substance to it. Right. Right. No, I mean, I think, Bill, you raised a really important point, right? We need to have a check and balance. And in a system of checks and balances, you don't want all of the power to be with the court and you don't want all of the power to be with the presidency, right? And that's why the court's going to try to figure out where it should fall. But the notion that a president can commit just, you know, blatant crimes while in office, um, you know, and then be immune for any crime they commit? Does that mean they can commit armed robbery or stealing or, as, you know, was suggested in the oral argument, shoot somebody dead walking down the street? A political, um, a political well, opponent. Right, or a political opponent. You know, that kind of immunity cannot be permitted in a democracy. That, can, that, that would be... That would be crazy. Um, and so we we really want the court, and the ACOE's position is that the court should put restraints um, on immunity from prosecution for things that are just blatant crimes. And it's hard to your point because, you know, is it a crime when we use, um, you know, remote drones to kill civilians in other countries? You know, well, under the International Criminal Court it would be, but guess what? The U.S. isn't a party to that uh, for lots of reasons, <laughs> starting with Henry Kissinger. But you know, I think that it's important that the court come down and put some kind of a guardrail on the abuse of executive branch power. Um, you know, the American people in Congress did that with Nixon, and I now we're hoping that the court will do that with Trump. But, you know, stay tuned because the court hasn't ruled yet. Well, let me ask you about that, because what is pending at the Supreme Court, as I understand it, is a petition for review, a petition for certiorari by uh, former President Trump asking the Supreme Court to review the decision by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. The court could well say, no, the D.C. Circuit got it right. There's nothing yes. really here to review. We're done, and the prosecution could go forward, as opposed to the Supreme Court saying, well, it's an important issue. We should decide it because we're the Supreme Court. And that would delay the prosecution for many, many months and maybe until after the election. Uh, so absolutely, timing is everything on these cases, and we've all been hearing and reading about how the Trump teams are trying to delay things because the notion would be that that if he were back in power, he would be able to dismiss or have his U.S. Attorney General dismiss the federal charges against him, and that's one of the reason, Bill, that Buzz, that want these state court cases, the Fonnie Willis case down in Georgia, and the case um, in New York, uh, the criminal cases on. Uh, the payments to Stormy Daniels, those would not go be thrown out um, because they're state court cases. And so the president, if it were President Trump, wouldn't have the ability to throw those cases out. So the federal cases are really subject to these games being played on timing. Um, and I'm concerned that the Supreme Court not fall into the trap. It would look so incredibly partisan if it did delay or force the delay of these cases moving forward. Um, I think faster is better. I think the American voters have a right to know uh, what, you know, whether or not they're going to be electing someone who's been convicted of criminal activity, in particular criminal activity involving and led an attempted insurrection to actually um, attack our democracy itself. As a practical matter, if Donald Trump were re-elected president, his Justice Department 
could dismiss the cases, even if there had been a conviction. He could certainly attempt to pardon himself. He could give up the presidency for a day, allow the vice president to step in and pardon him. I mean, there are a lot of ways that Trump can make the federal criminal prosecutions against him. He, as president, can make them disappear. But he can't. That's correct. But he can't do that to the state cases. I want to ask you about the state cases, but mm-hmm. just a slight detour. Do you have any? Uh, idea of when the Supreme Court will decide first, if it's going to decide? You know, I don't think we, I don't think anybody knows how, how long it's going to take, how, how fast or slowly. You know, the court goes out of session at the end of June, so it'll be before the end of June, but is it going to be in the next week? Um, you know, we keep, we watch every day uh, in the hope that we'll, there'll be a decision coming down. And a lot of us think that it's going to be sooner rather than later, but we simply don't know. The first state case that's going to be tried is the New York hush money case scheduled to go to trial, I believe, on March 25th. Uh, There's an op-ed, an opinion piece in today's New York Times or maybe yesterday's, I can't remember now, uh, in which the author says, you know, this case is derided. It's just hush money to cover up an affair that Donald Trump was having. Uh, It's not really all that important. But this author says, you know, that's not true. This is about hiding facts from the American voters, uh, and right. and that really mattered. It might, in fact, have changed the outcome of the 2016 election. Don't, don't minimize this case. I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important. It's important to know that voters know if their candidate may have committed a crime, but it's particularly relevant to voters when that crime is relevant to the vote itself is, is in some way interfering with elections, is somehow changing the facts on the ground so that people don't know what a, uh, what a candidate has done or has not done. And that's why it's so important that these kinds of crimes be prosecuted, because we don't want candidates to actually use commit crimes in order to get elected. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. And the kind of thing that wouldn't be allowed for anybody else certainly shouldn't be allowed as someone who wants to have the highest office in the land and arguably in the world. Any other thoughts you want to uh, share about the New York case before we go on to go on to Georgia? No. Okay. No, well, let's go. Let's, let's go to Georgia. Let's go to Georgia. <laughs> My goodness. I, 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 why? Never mind. But I do want to ask. I want to ask her why, Fannie Willis. Why? Who was the adult in the room saying maybe this isn't a great idea? But do you think that prosecution is going to be derailed by the uh, uh, relationship between the special prosecutor and the district attorney? You know, I mean, I think on one hand, and a lot of us, I think, are, are in agreement. You know, there's no conflict of interest really in this case. I mean, the fact that two prosecuted people in the prosecutor's office decided to have an affair between two consenting adults, that kind of is up to them, or it might be an ethics problem. But the courts are now, and, and the Trump team are now making this be an issue in the case insofar as it could get Fonnie Willis removed from the case altogether. And it's not clear that anybody else down there would be willing to prosecute it. Um, and so, in effect, by getting Fonnie Willis removed, it would possibly derail the case itself. And this, in many ways, was the strongest case that I think a lot of us thought was pending against Trump at the time, because it was about his efforts to de- um, to undermine and to steal the election in 2020. It goes directly to the heart of our democracy. And again, because it's a state court criminal case, um, it can't he can't pardon himself 
um, or claim immunity. That's not how it works. So the fact that there's a possibility even that Bonnie Willis would be removed from the case and the case itself would not be prosecuted um, is historic in its implications. And do you have an opinion with regard to the power of the judge to remove the prosecutor? Some people say that I didn't realize the judge could do that. Yeah, no, judges have a lot of powers, you know, um, and, you know, things like ethical violations and, and things like that. It's it's so interesting that, you know, Fonnie Willis could go down on an ethics violation, but Donald Trump doesn't. Like, wow, it's just uh, mind boggling. But that's the way the system works. And the system doesn't always work the way that many of us think it should or wish it would. Um, but, you know, the people whose human frailties get caught up are usually people who aren't presidents. Well, we've been through three of four Trump, three of the four Trump prosecutions. How about the fourth, which is the uh, prosecution for him for having classified documents that he wasn't supposed to have and then lying about it and trying to hide them? Uh, that case seems to be destined to be delayed beyond the election. Any thoughts yeah, about them? Well, and I think that there's a Trump appointed judge down there who keeps throwing up roadblocks. Eileen Cannon, I think her name is. Um, and there's been some talk about it. Uh, trying to see if she would be removed from that, from the case as well, because she's just so obviously um, incredibly biased uh, towards Trump. And so she's really been making it hard to move the case forward. So again, that's one where delay is going to be the tactic. Um, and I think that, um, you know, we watch, <laughs> we watch from Massachusetts, we watch from a distance and just hope that the wheels of justice don't grind too slowly, that they fail to bring justice at all. We have been speaking with Carol Rose, who is the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Massachusetts, a segment we call Writing Wrongs. Thank you so much, Carol, for being with us today. We really appreciate your time and insights. Bill Buzz, it's always great to be with you both. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.